Is this thing on? I think so. The light's there. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Pat. This is Posh. And this is the Founder Hour podcast. We're glad you're here. We have a big episode coming up, but before we get into it, we just wanted to remind you guys to please subscribe, leave us a rating, and a review, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook at The Founder Hour. Thank you guys for being here. Spread the word and enjoy the show. What's happening, everybody, and welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. This is your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And we're pleased to be here with Dinah Trout, the co-founder and CEO of Health Aid Kombucha. Cool. Great to have you on the show. We're wired up right now. I just drank some coffee, and now we're drinking some kombucha, so it's going to be a good conversation. (laughs) And I heard there's 0.5% alcohol in here, which is great. Even better. Um, Because, you know... I need to make this podcast even better. It's 11 a.m. right now, and I need some alcohol. I'm yeah. sorry to report, guys. 0.5%. Your body can't even oh, no. detect. It. it just Damn it. it just goes Cops right. Cops can through. probably detect it though. Yeah, no, not those, even. Those guys can detect anything. No, actually, you want to know what else has 0.5% alcohol in it? Soy sauce, ketchup, mustard, apple juice after it's been sitting on the shelf for 10 minutes. Mm. Toothpaste, I think, too. Toothpaste, Red yeah. Bull. Yeah. yeah, so everything. it's not. It's pretty much non-alcoholic. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you well, can mix it with alcohol. Yeah, that and then have some fun. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe we did, uh, or maybe we will. Um, well, let's just get started then, and let's d- dive into it. Tell us a little bit about you know what life was like early on. You know, where did you grow up, and kind of walk us through that. Oh yeah, sure. So I was actually born in Saudi Arabia. Wow. Which you can't see me, but no. I'm blonde and white, green eyes. So yeah, I look I like would, I'm Saudi Arabian. <laughs> I would have never, looks like he's Saudi Arabian. I would have never expected that. Yeah. How, how, how did that happen? <clears throat> uh, my dad uh, is an engineer and he worked for a company. Anyway, long story short, there was a whole bunch of Canadians, Americans, and Europeans that were incentivized to live in Saudi mm-hmm. to try to spur their economy. And they were offering all kinds of tax incentives to companies and to individuals. So he took the opportunity with a young family, my two older sisters, me, his wife, my mom, and uh, him. We went out to Saudi for about four years. And so wow. I just happened to be born there. Mm. Like my, I think they moved before my mom was pregnant. But um, I don't remember anything, but that's where I was born. Wow. Um, and... I grew up in Calgary for the first part of my life, Calgary, Alberta, just outside of um, Banff in in Canada. And so, you know, it was always around nature, mountains, uh, horses. You know, that's a big part of my upbringing and what I love. I'm a mountain girl for sure. Mm. Um, And then moved to Washington, D.C. area uh, when I was in high school, went to university there, went to Boston for grad school where I met my husband, Justin, who would end up being my... um, my co-founder, um, and then moved to LA about, gosh, 2007. So that's like 12 years ago. Yeah, 13 almost. 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. To just kind of take a step back, you mentioned, you know, going and moving to DC and, you know, I checked it out and you went to Georgetown and you were pre-med. So yeah. let's not just gloss over that. You know? <laughs> what was the vision to become a doctor? I mean, what was your vision when you did go to Georgetown? Yeah, so that's good to ask those questions because I think, um, you know, part of what drove me to start a business is that, like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm definitely, definitely an achiever type of person. So mm. I am a goal-oriented type of person. I like to win. That's probably my driving trait 
and it can be a you know its own fault in ways. But um, so growing up, I think you know I was good in science and math, and so it just naturally was like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this because I keep getting A's. It wasn't really like, oh, because I love to do this, I'm yeah. going to keep doing this. It was more like a positive feedback for someone like me. It's one of those things where like if you didn't go that route, then it was like you kind of sort of wasted your potential, right? I don't know really like, what it was. That was a kind of narrative. Yeah. yeah. I, it was more like I keep getting A's and awards, so yeah. let's keep doing it. Exactly. So I keep right. getting yeah. A's and awards instead of being <laughs> mm-hmm. like, wait, do I actually like this? Do I right. actually want to be a doctor? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I found myself just kind of always getting these science and health-based internships and then continuing. To, it was like a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak. So yeah, I found myself in undergrad and a health sciences degree, pre-med. I like was an EMT, like fully on the route to be mm. a doctor. So to answer your question, yes. Yeah. But I hadn't really ever thought through that profession properly because once I got to... Um, so basically, I ended up not going to medical school, even though I took the MCATs and everything. Wow. And it was only because I had gotten this unusual opportunity to work with a nutritionist, um, also a doctor, actually. But she was really um, known for um, her work in omega-3s. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I was starting to learn all about how omega-3s and how food can impact health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started to get into that. Um, I was really into food as, you know, as it is my, my mom always grew up making like homemade, fresh, real foods. So it was like a part of me. And so I very quickly pivoted and dropped medical school, um, as an option, like, you know, in a week's time. Cause again, I wasn't really that attached to it. And so I, I pivoted very quickly after undergrad, I went to grad school right away for nutritional biochemistry. No, I went to Boston. Got it. To Tufts. Yeah. It's so interesting because <clears throat> this is something that we see so often where, you know, kids that are like 18 years old coming out of high school make this huge commitment to go to college <gasps> to know. study something that they, they've never even taken the time to research. And like, is that what you want to do? Like, like maybe shadow somebody that's 10 years down the line. Is that who you want to become? I know. And, and you take this huge risk and everyone's guilty of it. Like it, yeah. it isn't something that is being taught in schools as much, I feel yeah. like, where it's like, do your research and look like 10, 15, 20 yeah. years ahead of time. And, and, and if that's who you want to be, then, then you're making the right choice. Otherwise. Yeah. You know. I a hundred percent agree. I mean, and it even continues past high school because yeah. after college, I didn't really know. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I so quickly switched from like, okay, you've been working toward being a doctor. Now you're just going to flimsy, like yeah. just flip to being, and I was doing my PhD to get a nutritional biochemistry degree, which turns out you have to sit in a lab all day, mm-hmm. which I hated. So I dropped that two years in, went to public health. I mean, you know, people are like, wow, you've got so many degrees. I'm like, yeah, I was really just not sure what I needed to do. Yeah. And to be honest, I feel like the whole time I was supposed to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I just didn't know it yet. Yeah. Because back in high school, I was in this great tiny school mm-hmm. or a great school with a lot of awesome support. It was an all-girls school, private Okay, so there were a lot of positives about it, but the negative side was I didn't get to see what the options were. So I feel like I would have loved a class or something or a set of classes that like exposed you to yeah. the different um, 100%. you know, <laughs> professions out yeah. there yeah. because I think I would have already naturally seen that I have this right. natural business sense in me and a, and a real drive to be it, the leader. It's crazy because I feel like that's what internships are supposed to be for, but you, that comes after the fact. Like that mm-hmm. comes in college after you've already sort of committed to something and taken on this huge risk. Right. Like why, like why isn't there, like maybe there is a program and if anyone's listening that knows, like send it our way because we'll share it. I might sign it. up. Yeah, I'll sign up right now. Um, where, like, like you said, it exposes you um, to all these different areas that, you know, 
maybe there isn't someone in your family that's done that before where you've had that opportunity to, to right. be exposed to that. So you need that, you know, that extra level of like somebody putting it in front of you to yeah. be like, oh, holy shit, like there's something there. And and I think that I could do well in this. So let me, yeah. let me try it out. No, modeling's a huge, I mean, especially for, I mean, and it's nothing to do with gender, but, you know, growing up, especially for, as being a woman, you didn't see a lot of models out there yeah. that exposed you to a lot yeah. is all I got to say. So yeah. it ended up being sort of the only thing I would have done differently about my life is started a business sooner. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I, I have, I had a very similar experience where I was pre-med as well, but you know, That's I think cool. one thing that you forget or one thing you don't think about when you're young, when you're 17, 18, like in high school or even early in college is you don't realize how much of your life it's going to take. Right. And how mm. much you have to sacrifice to, to be a doctor. I, yeah. I mean, I feel like being a doctor is one of those professions that's not only a career choice. Like, it is your life. Mm-hmm. Like, that is your primary goal and primary, like, thing that you have to do in life is that. Yeah. Like, family comes second to that. You know, friends come second to that. Like, it's doctor first. Like, you're serving everybody else first. And when I realized that, I was like, wow, I don't know if I'm fit to do that, right? right? But again, I think going to Pat's point about, like, exposure and, like, not really knowing any better. Like, nobody in high school told us, like, you can, like, you know, go build something or you can, like, go do this. It's, like, very, mm-hmm. like, cut and dry. Even mm-hmm. in college, like, you were a business major. Yeah. Like, they're not really preaching entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. no. right? It's like I was a business major and 99% of my class was um, students that wanted to go into, like, investment banking of or course. consulting. Yeah. That was the, the route, you know, mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurship. Like, I took entrepreneurship class. And even then, it wasn't something that was like as encouraged as you might yeah, think. Yeah, college. I think it's changing now. Yeah, hundred percent. At least I've heard. Mm, yeah, but um, but yeah, I think for sure. Like I already had. Had I known that business and entrepreneurship was a real option for me, and like I kind of, I, I think I could have already realized that that was the path from the beginning. Right. But the thing is, like you know these institutions want to show their return on investment and so entrepreneurship is a risky game so mm. they're not i feel like they're not incentivized to encourage you to go out and take these big risks because then you're going to look back and be like why did i spend <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars going to the school where i could have just done this like earlier on like you said yeah in high school so there's this weird game that's being played you know and i think it, it starts with the institutions changing like the the institutional education system changing to be able to accommodate mm-hmm. for people who are meant to be entrepreneurs, you know? Yeah, so. maybe. Yeah. So you start working with this nutritionist and what happens? Um, well, she really just inspired me to step away from going to medical school because I was like, oh, I'm into this. Let's let's go do a PhD. Like what? Mm. Um, so no, I mean, she was just uh, a helpful point along the way that moved me away from being like a medical doctor to still being in health sciences, but focused more on food and nutrition, which felt more aligned. Like I was more just naturally into that. Mm-hmm. So now is the beginning of me starting to figure out, okay, what do you actually love to do? Should have been questions I asked myself in high school, but here I am. And so that drove me to go to Tufts. And I went right after Georgetown to Tufts to grad school, moved to Boston. I'm going to be a doctor, academia, you know, scientist. And like one year into that, I'm like, I hate the lab. Um, So it took me a little while, but I figured out, I figured my way in the end to starting a business. It just, you know, wasn't it wasn't overnight. So did you actually like the subject matter though and not so much nutrition? the lifestyle? Yeah. Love nutrition. Okay. And so again, you know, you can never look back at your past and say, "Oh, that didn't matter. Right. I could have extracted that." So of course everything led me to here. And I think um yeah, my passion for food and my then, you know, the additional knowledge I got from food helped me 
just fall in love with it and hone in on my philosophy about food overall, which for me, food is all about making you happy and healthy. It's not about like how many grams of sugar it has or I'm not that functional nutritionist. I'm much more like how does it make you feel? Eat things that make you feel good today, tomorrow, and 10 days from now mm-hmm. and you'll you'll be good. Um, so when I honed in on that philosophy, I started cooking and fermenting. So I learned how to make kombucha in grad school, mm. um, even though we weren't learning about kombucha in grad school. That was it sense. a thing? I mean, back then? Not really. Although in my grad school, because everybody was in nutrition, everybody was into like sprouting things and fermenting things. So, so for sure, like the students, I think I learned how to make kombucha from a fellow student. It wasn't like something we learned about though. We were learning about like how vitamin K impacts the metabolism yeah. cycles. Uh, you know, it was very sort of scientific and medical in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we were playing with food. And before we kind of get into the topic of kombucha, um, something we always talk about is how sort of passion is something that could is something that's developed and not so much something that you know like from the get go, like you fall into it sort of. Yeah. Um, and those are the types of careers that are like that are stem from passion as opposed to someone thinking rarely is the case where someone has a passion from a young age that they pursue all the way through and and yeah and there there's a lot of like stuff that I, I mean I've been reading about lately about that but yeah. for you I guess how did you I guess the fact that you fell into this passion for nutrition can you uh, I guess is that something that you had growing up that you could allude to that there was like a situation where you're like this is why I might be interested in this? Yeah, I love that you're bringing up passion because I think there's a lot of misassumptions or a lot of assumptions that are that are incorrect about people and why they do things. Um, so, for example, I think many people assume because I started a kombucha company that I am like crazy passionate yeah. about kombucha. And the truth is I love kombucha. I drink one a day. But it's not like to me any better for you than a strawberry or a really good steak um, so, I mean, no, I think kombucha is better than a steak. I, what I mean is it's not like I was like determined to be the kombucha queen. Right. The passion for me was really leadership, starting a business, making something on my own mark. And I think that's what makes it really difficult for entrepreneurs yeah. because that passion isn't, it's, it, you know, you don't, when, you, when you're in math class, it's not like coming to you when you're also, in science yeah. class, it's not coming also, to you. It's not something that you can necessarily fall into unless you have an idea that you actually pursue. Right. Cause otherwise like, you know, to, you can go climb the ladder and then right. be in a leadership position at like a corporation, but that passion isn't something that you could just like yeah. have and then tomorrow put, put into place yeah. right away. It's yeah. something that 100%. has to, yeah. So 100%. that's the tough part about entrepreneurship is, yeah. you know, it's, it's mainly about if you feel like you have those skills to be a good leader, the next step is just find an idea that you yeah. want to pursue. And then yeah. And leadership is only one part of entrepreneurship. Like yeah. I would argue there's a lot of entrepreneurs who aren't great leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, leadership is one of my strengths. So that's that yeah. was sort of a passion found later. But yeah, I think a passion to start something, a passion to build something, um, you know, that's something that you kind of like to your point without the idea, it's really hard. Like who says I have a passion for business? Well, I say that now, but so back in the day, yeah, I would mention my mom cooked all the time. Mm. And so food was like real good food was always a part of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't allowed to drink soda and like, it was always kind of a healthy house. 
Um, so for sure that impacted my drive to go to nutrition school and my drive to eat well and treat myself well and, you know, be interested in learning how to make kombucha. And by the way, that wasn't all I made. I made homemade kimchi and sauerkraut and all that stuff. Mm. So today, like I love to cook and that's definitely a part of this whole story. Right. But again, it wasn't, let me put it this way. When the, the way health aid started, Justin, Vanessa and I, so Vanessa's the third co-founder Justin is my husband. Vanessa was my best is my best friend. So the three of us were all in the same place in life, mm-hmm. aka unfulfilled, had a job, wasn't didn't really feel like it was going as fast as we wanted it to, and we had this itch to start something. So we started an entrepreneur club between the three of us, and it's not like the first. And where day is we this were, at in LA? In LA. So when so okay so you met your husband. In t- at Boston. Tufts. Well, he was a musician. Okay. At Bo- Berkeley College of Music, like okay. real wow. musician. Yeah, yeah. And I real musician, real musician, <laughs> not just like oh, you know, yeah, yeah. pick up the guitar from time yeah, to time. Yeah, like yeah. I, he had a slump on his left side because he was always carrying yeah. a guitar. You know, mm-hmm. like real musician. Um, yeah. So kind of uh, on paper, not not an expected match, especially since he was the lead guitarist for a band called Tony Reeks of the Grave, oh, um, p- greatest punk band that never yeah. was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we met there. We had a choice after school to move to L.A. or New York because okay. of the music, and I was just done with the cold. So yeah, we I mean, picked LA. Sounds like the best choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had like a, I remember an old blue Saturn and whatever fit in the car came with us on that drive. We couch surfed for a bit and I looked for a job. And I was like pretty decorated from a degree standpoint, but I wasn't interested in all that stuff. Like I wasn't interested in being a social worker for public health. I wasn't interested in being a dietitian. So it was like I had all these degrees, but they really didn't do much. Um so I ended up, I mean, I ended up getting a job in pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a sales job. It, I was gonna, <laughs> I know. Before you mentioned that, I was going to say for any entrepreneur out there that doesn't like any of those roles, you usually fall into sales. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> yeah. like, that's what yeah. the next step is. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> because you're, you're just like, you can, you're a good self-starter. Exactly. And yeah. Can, at least you'll be around people, like spend yeah. some time. Yeah. 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 So, and I also, you know, had like $200,000 in school bills, right? I yeah. went to Georgetown and Tufts. So I was like, how am I going to get a job that helps me pay for this was yeah. the other thing. Um, so anyway, that worked. GSK hired me. I was starting to, and my first day... I got paired with Vanessa. Okay, so she was my team. Mm. Like we got uh, paired in twos. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of serendipitous. What was Vanessa's background? Yeah, so Vanessa's from LA. She's from Encino, so a real Valley girl. And um, super smart. Also had a science background. She went from undergrad uh, to um, right to GSK. GSK was her first job. So when we got paired together, I think she had been working there already a year in mm-hmm. sales, and mm-hmm. she was like top sales. So they always pair one of the top salespeople with the newbies, mm-hmm. which was me. Mm-hmm. So very happy we got paired that day on the same team. Obviously, we became fast friends, but we had no idea yet that five years later we would start Health Aid together. Yeah. So we uh, had a five-year journey at GSK together. It started in sales. She maintained her position in sales. She moved up for sure, and always won all the awards. But I pivoted about a year or two in, also did really well, and ended up getting an opportunity to go into what was called change management at the company. And this was a real key reason I jumped ship and started HealthAid. So it might be a good idea to talk about it. Yeah, um, sure. But the 
change agent. Is that under HR? Like an HR? So, so this is back in, I want to say like 2011. This is right when generic companies were coming out. So all the branded drug companies were starting to lose money. Yeah. And so there was a lot of attrition mm. where the salespeople used to be there for 20 years and making $200,000. Yeah. Like the companies were now starting to lock down. We had like four layoffs in the past year. So it was kind of like morale was down. Yeah. And um, so they ha- so they basically took 12 sales reps across the country. It was like sort of a very innovative thing. Um, they took 12 sales reps, top sales reps across, across the country, gave them each a region and said, your job is now to improve engagement of our employees in this <laughs> region. Like unstructured, unlimited budget, you know, you've got a goal. This is the year. This is where your engagement scores are at at the beginning of the year. Your job is to change them at the end of the year. Here you go. So there were two things I learned from this process. First, that I was really good at being in an unstructured place. And I knew that I was especially good at this because all 11 other people, you know, we were kind of a team that were set out to do this, all the other 11 change agents. Everybody was really struggling with that amount of lack, that amount of sort of autonomy. Right. You know, what are we supposed to do now? So right. what do I do on Monday? You know, and I was like, don't ask, just go. Do something, yeah. And so it was just kind of apparent to me. I'm like, huh, I'm like very comfortable with this. And I just loved my job. I just loved that I could build whatever I wanted to do, go wherever I wanted to go, you know, spend whatever I wanted to spend. I mean, I wasn't like reckless, but I was able to be creative in how I, you know, approach this problem. And so like, what are some of the things that you were doing? So I flew to every single team in the region. Um, and what re- you were in the... I just sat down and talked to them. And I What region learned, were you in? I was in all of... All West Coast. Okay. So I had like everything from Washington down yes. to Pacific California. Northwest, yeah. yeah. But all the way down to Southern California. Okay. Um, and I just met with every single team, but it was like, and this was the second learning. I had like, just like a crash course in people, yeah. motivation, performance, engagement. I learned what teams perform. Why? What managers suck? Why? You know, what makes people unhappy? What makes them happy? And I ended up winning the award by far that year, and then they put me back, and I learned so much, so I was kind of like, cool. They put me back in my sales job, because it was just a one-year internship, and I felt like I was in prison. Yeah. Like, I was like, That's a big change. Hell no. Yeah, (laughs) because it's a completely different, completely different job. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, they say, like, the best salespeople aren't always the best managers. You know, like, a lot of salespeople, the next step up is to be a manager and to manage a sales team, but many people don't want to be managers. They just want to stay in sales. Um. I guess in, in, in your case, um, what did you just learn by doing in that case? Or why do you think you were so good at it? Were you, was it just natural to you? Or? I think I'm naturally a good communicator and I connect with people. And that in turn has been my strength. And again, not in, every entrepreneur is going to have leadership as their strength. But right. you got to know what it is you got. Um, and so that was really my time to realize, wait, I am very good at inspiring others, at getting them motivated. Because... I was basically able to do this no matter with what team I sat. I could get them to connect mm-hmm. back to the company, get inspired again, and start rowing in the right direction mm. and um, and happily. So I kind of walked away being like, wow, I'm actually just naturally good at this. And um, especially as I watched the other people not succeed as much, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good compared to others at this. So when I got back, put back in that job, it wasn't that I didn't like sales or wasn't good at sales, it was more that I just now suddenly wasn't having that autonomy anymore and I couldn't create my own world. And so it was like the most miserable year ever, even though I had done really well. And 
you know, it was the, it was the instigator to me say, Hey guys, AKA husband and best friend, like I got to jump and do something. Yeah. And they were like, you know what? I hate what I'm doing too. What was your Let's husband Let's do doing? it together. So he was still trying to make it as a musician in LA. And uh, there's so many of them out there holler mm-hmm. at you because it is so tough. You make all this amazing things. Like you make all this beautiful music and this art and this creation. You send it out and it just mm-hmm. like hope to God it comes back. But yeah. it doesn't often. So he worked on the side um, for as an assistant for an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And um, that was another reason he was like, guys, let's just start something. This guy's depositing $90,000 a week, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like you get we to a certain point. At the time, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, if you know you got it, that bug, or like you know you can be a good entrepreneur because you have the skills, you get to a certain point where it's like the, the line between you and the person you're reporting to, who happens to be the entrepreneur that took that risk, is like so small, like mm-hmm. it's so thin, where you could just do it yourself and work for yourself and have control over your own destiny, right? Yeah, and so. an itch is a really you said itch. It's a really bug good itch. or bug. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah. really good way to put it because yeah. it's almost like you have no choice. Yeah. yeah. It's not that it's not scary. It's very scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's horrible. I was cry- I was like crying every night. It was like, you know, there was no reason for me to do this. I had a secure job. I mean, besides the unhappiness part, I didn't have an idea of what business I would start. There was no quote passion. Like it. So it was. It was sort of a dumb thing. But that, that's why I think when I meet other entrepreneurs, I can always pick them out mm-hmm. when I talk to them because it's like you have this calling and you can't help it eventually you're not going to be able to not do it yeah so you, you didn't have an idea like how yeah. did, what how, what happened next yeah so the three of us all decided we wanted to start a company and how old are you guys at the time um so age differs between the three of us but um it was um really quickly we started health aid so um it was 2011 i'm 38 now i think i was around 30 so is that right mm, yeah. yeah i'm yeah. around 30 vanessa's like six years younger than me so she's 24 Justin's three years younger than me, so 27. 27. So you guys are, are are very young. We're young. We don't have money. We don't have kids. We don't have a mortgage. Yeah. Hmm? And uh, we live in LA, and we start an entrepreneur club, and we start talking about what ideas we have for a business. And it's just and the they, three of you guys. Just the three of us. <laughs> what was the club? like? You, you had a certain time you met. Yeah, and talked it was about once stuff. a week, and everybody could gather ideas during the week and come, and we had this black binder where we would insert ideas and they span the whole gamut like this is where the passion part is interesting because it's not like Vanessa and Justin were passionate at all about kombucha probably not even really food that was me yeah um so my ideas were usually food based or at least wellness based um whereas you know i remember one of the ideas was like how do we keep you know knee high boots from slouching <laughs> I mean, all kinds of interesting problems were brought to this entrepreneur club, and we were coming out with all kinds of ideas, but we only had like 600 bucks each to put toward this. So a lot of ideas got crossed off the list just because, you know, to start an app, it would be too expensive. So we were getting frustrated too. The other thing about the three of us is we had waited until the voice was so loud, we couldn't work one more day. You know, it was like we were already at the end point. Yeah. Um, and so we were so hungry to start something and getting really frustrated every time an idea got crossed off. Um, so, and, you know, funny thing is we would eat my food and, like, drink my kombucha and stuff during these meetings. Oh, so um, you were still making kombucha. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was always cooking. Um, yeah, like, I was always into food um, ever since grad school. So that has been a constant in my whole life. But, yeah, we would, you know, we had no idea that, you know, drink would be the thing. And... 
Vanessa got a call from a friend. Okay, no, no, wait. This is how it really started. <laughs> because you guys want the real story, yeah. right? Okay, so Justin. No fake stories here. Right, right, this so, is not CNN. <laughs> so Justin, I mentioned he worked for an entrepreneur. Yeah. That entrepreneur Who's made- Who's cashing $90,000 checks a week. Cashing like ridiculous. Sounds like a dream. Sounds like yeah, a dream. total dream. And he's, he's making that money by selling tap-on hair. Selling what? Tap-on hair. It's like they sold it in Sky Mall. It was literally like you tap on this powder onto your hair that's thinning, and it would make it look thicker. Oh my god! And it's people were those spending... people that like you drive down like Pacific Coast <laughs> Highway oh, and you dude. look at those crazy houses at the top, and it's How? like the guy created a piece of plastic that goes into like the whatever. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, and dude. he's just rolling it, and people are. Sp- Sending pennies, oh anything God. they can to get this product because it actually worked. It didn't work at actually solving the problem, but it did make your hair look thicker. Yeah. And men don't like that. You know, women don't like that too, but predominantly men brought this product. So Justin saw the opportunity in hair loss prevention. Mm. And he was like, guys, I'm telling you, he needs a competitor. Like, let's make something <laughs> that actually works here. And so we started researching what will regrow hair. And of course, I'm interested in what's natural. So I'm doing my research. Uh, on sort of more, you know, w- real food type of items or, or at least natural items that would that would solve this problem. And I find all over the internet anecdotal videos and just like blog posts and stuff of people that use the culture for kombucha, which is also known as the SCOBY. So we haven't gotten to how you make kombucha, no, yeah. but there's a... Was it, was it like bacteria, yeast? It's a culture that holds the probiotics. Got it. But it looks like a pancake. It's like a it's actual thing you can hold. Got it. And um, it's not too different than what's used to make real yogurt or anything fermented for that matter. But um, that SCOBY they use in parts of the world as a mask on the head to hmm. regrow hair. Mm. Okay, now I know how to make kombucha, right? Yeah. And kombucha is relatively cheap to make. You need a scoby, which is hard to get. You got to get it from someone else. Um, which, but I already had mine from Boston, which originally came from Tibet. Well, why do you, so. Wait, could you could you tell us a little bit more about like why you have to get it from somebody else and like? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit confusing, but when you so the way you make kombucha, so we'll take a little side yeah, yeah, side yeah, trip sure. here to how you make kombucha. You take sugar tea and water, so okay. it starts with the base of sweet tea, like South Carolina style sweet tea. Really? Then you add a scoby on top. This scoby has bacteria, yeast, enzymes, all probiotics. Mm-hmm. You add that to the uh, sweet tea and you let it sit. And as it sits, the bacteria and yeast eat the sugar and they eat the tea, and they make all kinds of byproducts. It's called fermentation. Mm-hmm. It's no different than it's very similar to actually what happens in beer and wine when you let. Wine, the yeasts on the grape is what actually eats the sugar and makes different byproducts. And there's bacteria that make the acids. So essentially, just like grape juice turns to wine, it's a totally different thing. Or malt, barley, and hops turn to beer, and it's an entirely different thing. Tea turns to kombucha Hmm. with these probiotics. And so not only does the liquid transform, and when you capture it, you get a really delicious acidic, slightly tart, slightly sweet, bubbly beverage, you also get all those probiotics because they've doubled and tripled. And so when you drink it, it's got healthy organic acids and these probiotics. So that's why it's a health drink. Um, but it also tastes really good. So it really is a good replacement when and for where like did a soda. it originate? Like it's been around for Nobody a long knows. time. Thousands right? of years. Thousands all all of kinds years. of cultures. The same cultures. way you just explained right now. Or yeah. Like- Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like when you make it, if you were to start making this at home, I guarantee you, your grandparents, if they're still alive, they'd be like, we used to make that back in mm. blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't, was it called kombucha? I don't just think so. I mean, in Lithuania, which is where I'm, you know, my heritage is from, um, they call it, 
for Arbetene Gira. It stands for like, uh, I guess it sort of stands for fermented tea. Interesting. And so then around I've this heard, time, um, you like when you were like making it at home, um, it wasn't like a thing. Like it wasn't a packaged. Well, it was. So wait, let's get to that in okay, a second because yes. the scoby still. So so, so you start with the scoby, right. you get this liquid. S C O B Y. Yep. Okay. Symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. It's an acronym. Go. All right. So you get this liquid. Weirdly, the scoby makes a baby. So out of one scoby, that fermentation process now produced a second scoby. So now you have two scobies and it's where like you this once thick had one. Thing? It's like this pancake. It's like a pancake that you could hold. You can hold. And it doesn't fall apart. Doesn't fall apart. <laughs> it's like okay. it's like it's like a. It has the consistency kind of of. Um, Tofu. I want okay, to say okay, like gelatin almost. Yeah. Yeah. And and um and it's like kind of a yellowish color. And inside of it, the actual mass is just cellulose. It's like useless. But the inside, what's living inside, is the probiotics. So hmm. it makes two. So from two, you can make two batches of kombucha, and then those each make one extra. So then you have four scobies, and you can make four, mm. and then six. And so then it's so like regenerative. In it a way. regenerates. Wow. So you you can, we've started health. We have two hundred fifty thousand jars of kombucha brewing right now. Those all came from that one scoby in Boston. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, I knew how to make these scobies. Yeah. Guess all I need to do is make some fucking tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I got the scoby and it Perfect just regenerates. Perfect for a six hundred dollar budget, right? Yeah. Wow. So we start making kombucha, but not for the liquid. We're cultivating the these cultures because we're going to save the world from baldness. That was the idea in the beginning. We start making so much kombucha, we don't even know what to do with it. We're bottling it in the cheapest bottle we can find, which is a brown amber glass bottle that we got from LA General Bottle Supply for one. cheap. This one now is Same color. custom. Yeah. Right? It says follow yeah. your gut and everything. Mm, yeah. But there's an amber glass bottle that we started in that's very similar to this. Yeah, and that yeah. was a stock bottle. Yeah. And it was cheap because who wants to put something in an ugly brown right. medicine looking right, bottle? Right, right, so right, it was like 75% off and we're like, great, we'll take it. And we weren't interested in selling it at the time. So it was just going to be for friends and family, mm. right? I was just bottling it to give away because it was really good kombucha. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we start cultivating these scobies. We're about ready to try it on Justin who started to have thinning hair. So he was going to be our perfect guinea pig. And we got a phone call from Vanessa's friend um, who was running a farmer's market and the Brentwood one and was like, I got a spot for you this summer, March to September, if you want it at Brentwood, but you got to sign up now. Like you have like a week and we're like, remember how thirsty we are to start something, right? So we're like, yes, we'll do it. You know, hanging up the phone, not even having a product yet. Yeah, like this is still yeah. like you're still toying around with other ideas. Oh at this yeah, point. no, we're, just... we're we're basically making scobies that eventually we're gonna put into some kind of beautiful. I mean, the idea was we would put it into some kind of mixture with avocados, and it would be a mask you would put on the head, and we'd sell it for a hundred bucks. Got it. So, so all three of you, like through this entrepreneur club, had had sort of landed on yes. this thing, and yes. you were gonna pursue this. Yes, we were gonna pursue. So, this. did you have an idea of what the extent of that was gonna be? Like, besides just you know bottling it up. No, for... I mean, our first step was let's put this on Justin's head and see if it actually works. Yeah. But then we got this phone call, and remember, we're we're like, oh, like so... you were physically putting it on his head. We were going to. Oh, I see. First okay, step okay. was to get the scobies. Next step was put it on his head, see to if put it changes. Put the scoby on his head, or put yeah. the because that would be regenerating. Yes. So Got we it. we had cultivated at this point like sixty scobies because mm-hmm. we had made like sixty batches of kombucha, which made like sixty cases of kombucha. But we weren't worried about the liquid, so we start putting. We were gonna start putting the scobies on Justin's head to see does it make a difference. 
But in that period, like shortly after starting this whole sort of process, we get a call from Vanessa's friend that's right. like, you can start in March. And this is around January. You could start in March, but you need to let us know now. So January 2011. Yeah, 2012. And, and you and Vanessa at this point had quit your jobs? No, not yet. No, okay, no. So we were working on the side. I'm yeah. sorry. We were working full time yeah. doing this like on Saturdays at this point. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't have like, uh, it was just fun to have a project. It wasn't yet, fig- like there was no business plan yet. We were just like, let's see if this works. Mm-hmm. We had like a little project. It was a, it was a passion project. A little project, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, okay, so we... <laughs> So we were like, yes, we'll take the opportunity. We'll take the farmer's market spot, even though we didn't have a product at all, right? All we had was Scobies. We hadn't even used it on Justin yet. Uh, but we're like, how hard can this be? So, um, you know, our naivete was probably the best thing. So thankful we said yes on that day. I think so many people would say no because they don't have so many things yet. But um, I'm so happy we did because what ended up happening is we spent an afternoon trying to mix Scobies. Like what we figured was, okay, it probably works because so many people are saying it works. So let's skip the step of trying this on Justin and let's just start making a product here. So we start mixing the SCOBY, like grinding it up in like a Vitamix um, with like avocado. And we're like, does it, you know, but it was like gloopy and clumpy. And we're like, okay, this is not going to be like how, <laughs> as easy as we thought. And we had like no time. So remember, we had like 60 cases of already bottled <laughs> kombucha. Mm-hmm that was taking over my apartment and was actually becoming a real nuisance. So we were like, all right, let's just sell that. Like, let's make some money. Let's like start, let's just start something. And we'll, we'll sell this. It probably won't be the big thing, but whatever money we get from it, we'll put toward the real business. And um, of course, you know, we've been saying that for eight years now. So (laughs) we showed up and we, we hand taped labels. We made the label, the name, the anchor, follow your gut. It was called, it was called healthy. Yeah. We named it all in a table like this. What is it like? What is that In about two hours. It's crazy. Um, So Justin was drinking a Gatorade. I remember the pressure's off because we're just like summer, summertime kind of thing. You had asked about, were we the only kombucha at that time? We weren't. Um, there were, I mean, kombucha was super niche. But it was also sure. a new category, right? It was a new category. Yeah. Like it's but been it around was, for thousands of years, but yes. it was never like packaged and sold in stores. I mean, until not more never. So at that time, you could buy kombucha at any natural food store, but it wasn't our brand, obviously. You Got could it. buy but was it another branded brand. Or was yeah, just, it was branded, it was, but okay. not, not in our opinion very well. Yeah, yeah. And, but that was one of the reasons we didn't think about kombucha in the first place. We're like, we're not going to beat that guy. He's already everywhere. Yeah. We got $600. Like, what are we going to do? But how many water brands are there right now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but at that yeah. time we were like, eh. But then we had this opportunity and we're like, okay, whatever. We'll make some money. We'll, and my kombucha is really good. So we'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But I had no dreams at that point that it was going to be in the stores yet. Like, we really just thought this was going to be a summertime project. So the pressure's off. We're mm-hmm. naming it and designing it. So Justin was drinking a Gatorade and you're just like. So Justin's drinking a Gatorade at the table and we're like, all right, what are we going to name this? What's it going to look like? And he's like, you're drinking a Gatorade. And I'm like, well, it's healthier than that. And so he's like, healthy aid? I'm like, all right, great. So we called it healthy aid for a couple of weeks. And then we just kind of felt like that extra syllable was always <laughs> taking us back. So we just dropped the Y. <laughs> the, the design of the product was, was sort of pharmaceutical because we had landed on those glass bottles for no strategic (laughs) reason except that cost was driving that. So they looked already kind of apothecary style. Mm -hmm. So we're like, let's go with that design. Let's make it look like apothecary. And, you know, I, I drew out a little something with like some apothecary style look and I sent it to a friend of Justin's who is a musician and also a graphic designer. And for 20 bucks and a case of kombucha, 
he spit back our first label. We printed it on our, you know, color jet printer at home and literally scotch taped it on. Showed up at the farmer's market. And the anchor, you know, same thing. One thing is for sure, we always have had a sense of brand. So we knew if this was going to happen. We still wanted to succeed that summer. Yeah. Even if we didn't have dreams yet of being everywhere, we still wanted to kick ass. So, um, you know, we understood the importance of brand. So that that label looked really good. Yeah. And uh, even though it was like kind of very homemade. Um, so yeah, we knew we wanted an icon that represented what kombucha was to us. I had mentioned to you earlier before we got on air that we looked at what was out in the market and we felt that it was very, uh, specific who they were talking to. It was like a very, a lot of women, also very hippie kind of looking, um, like ohm symbols and stuff. So we, we felt kombucha was way more mainstream and had the potential to be more mainstream than that. Like for people who are drinking Coca-Cola, like this could be a really interesting, better for you substitute. So the, we wanted an icon that was appealing to both men and women, that wasn't so hippie, that fonts that were structured and like people could see it on the shelf. Yeah. So all of it was very deliberate, even mm. if it was homemade. And I think that's my other natural print on the brand is the brand and the consumer interaction with the brand. That's me and leadership. I'm not the ops or finance girl. That's Justin all the way and we've got an awesome CFO. So again, as, an, as a leader which is different than entrepreneur. You know, not all entrepreneurs should be the CEO. Um, I just happen to be that. Okay, so we show up. We sell out. March 2012. March 25th, 2012. It's a rainy Sunday. We get a good spot. Justin and I are all dressed up. It takes us like two hours to set up the table, you know, and we sell out in like an hour. Mm. It was awesome. And it happened like that for like, Two, three times, like like three times until me, Justin, and Vanessa were like, wait, we landed on something here. I mean, there were like lines. And it wasn't just that they loved our product. We loved to sell it and we were good at selling it. Like we didn't let, we didn't just let it happen. It wasn't like, you know, you go to the farmer's market and the, the person's like on their phone. They're like, oh, you want two or three? We were like, you. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody could walk by our booth unless they tried our kombucha. Other vendors wanted to be near us because we would be so good at driving yeah. people to come. And, um, you know, that was just a natural sort of drive. We realized the three of us had this sort of grit or this um, th- this desire to win so bad. I mean, we had, like, competitions between each other of who could sell more bottles by 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. And, mm-hmm. um, and what was the feedback you were getting from those early customers? <laughs> like, um, like you had said, there were other kombuchas in the stores if they walked in. Um, was it mainly just like it tasted better or was mm-hmm. there more than that? Like, Well, half of our consumers were already kombucha consumers. Yeah. And um, they would tell us that ours tasted better. They loved how it was made. We made ours in, um, with cold-pressed juice that we bought at the farmer's market. So it tastes a lot fresher and delicious. Also, we ferment in all glass, two-and-a-half-gallon jars, so it's really artisanal and craft. And I think people who are in the farmer's markets probably like that. So they were into that, so they would switch. And then a good 50% of our consumers were um, new to kombucha, Mm -hmm. but they knew probiotics were good for you. So that was usually what drove them. We would say, you want to come try a probiotic tea? And they'd be like, huh. And so we would have the opportunity to educate them on what kombucha is and um, often those people would drink our kombucha and then they'd be like, okay, I'll taste some. And they'd walk around the market with like the sample cup and then they'd come back and buy a case because they were like, this made me feel so good. Like I just feel really good. Yeah. And so it sort of sold itself in that way. 
And were you doing like different flavors at the time or it was just like So we started with two. Everything that first day was all one because it was those 60 cases of original, which is unflavored, which is really delicious in and of itself. But What does that one taste like? I haven't tried that um, So everything only has about a shot of cold pressed juice in it. So it's really a secondary flavor that... Flavor that isn't juice, that's what kombucha tastes like. Got and it. You probably have an original in your right, fridge. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's really smooth, tart, a little bit sweet, um, bubbly. It's it's really nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we started making more flavors, and we would basically just buy whatever fruits at the end of the market were on sale and then make kombucha with it. So back then, it was very seasonal and beautiful. And you were just making it at home? Making it in our kitchen with a siphon on the weekends mm. and at night. So you sell out, you do this a few times, you sell out each time. We're selling out each time, like by 10 a.m. Yeah. <clears throat> like and you're obviously really. making money on this. Or- um, you know, I don't think we quite understood anything about finance at that time. So it was probably costing us 10 bucks a bottle to make at that point, but we were selling wow. it for five. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, we were just not <laughs> counting things. It was yeah. sort of like whatever yeah. cash we got from the market, let's buy those, let's buy those ridiculous star fruits and make a kombucha. Right. It was really not about the money in the beginning. Right. It was about... Um, right. The consumer fit, the traction, the sales. All right. So we very quickly see after three that we're like, there's a line down the street. We can't make enough. So we hire somebody for 10 bucks an hour under the table to help us make more. And and we are like, instead of doing one market, let's do three. There's three of us, you know, three people at a market. So then we very quickly went from one market to three. And each, you know, now our time became really strapped because farmer's markets are not easy to do. I mean, your day starts at four in the morning, you're packing the cooler, drive out to the market, you're in the hot sun all day till two, then you break it down, you got to drop all the product that you didn't sell off or ice packs or whatever. I mean, it's like... You're tired at the end of the day. I'm and not sure if you mentioned it, but had you left your job at this no. point? No. You're still at your yeah. job. Okay. So then the next day you go to work and you're like, oh, <laughs> and then after work, you're right. I'm making kombucha, as much kombucha as I can. We couldn't make enough. It was awesome. How long does it take to make it? Um, it takes a week to two weeks for it to ferment. Got so it. you got to be constantly making more so that you're bottling. And you're still doing this in your what, apartment? Mm-hmm. So eventually our p- apartment literally became like a bed. And a, an apartment filled with kombucha. And, you know, I remember the first time we had, <laughs> um, so we used to buy our vessel. So you have to ferment tea in something. Mm-hmm. And we had this beautiful glass cookie jar that we got from Bed Bath & Beyond for twelve ninety nine. And yes, we used that 20% off coupon every time. <laughs> um, by the way, we still use the same jar. Um, so we would kind of drive all around town buying these jars. And like, I always want to be a fly on the wall at the management meetings for Bed Bath & Beyond when they're like, this two and a half gallon cookie jar is like sold out in LA every week. And <laughs> One then, location every Everywhere. We would call all of them, anyone you could drive to. <laughs> oh it was God. worth it. Yeah. Um, anyway, we now get, we got them direct eventually from the manufacturer. And the reason I'm telling this story is, you know, the first time we did that, they're like, well, we don't do anything less than a truckload. And we're like, all right, yeah, we, fuck it. We can, we can do a truckload of these things. <laughs> Yeah, just bring it to uh, 440 North Sierra Bonita Boulevard, Apartment A. And uh, so they they bring an 18-wheeler, way more than a pallet. They bring an 18-wheeler truck to an apartment in like, you know, the Grove area. Um, And Vanessa and I are like, all right. And of course, we didn't pay for the uh, lift gate. Yeah. Because that was an extra hundred bucks. So they were like, yeah, you're going to have to unpack this yourself. 
you know, and the guy just like smoked a cigarette. The driver like watched while me and Vanessa just multiple cigarettes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we didn't even have a pallet jack or anything. So we had to unpack every single jar. I mean, it was like an eight hour thing. Oh my God. He's uh, just standing there. He's just standing there. He's just standing there. But that's a memory of like, you know, how the apartment doesn't work, you know, at some point with manufacturing. Um, (laughs) Not to mention the fact that it's probably not legal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So after that moment, we're like, okay, let's get like a legit place. Um, And so we found, and and this is part of our story, our story, and it's not everyone's story, and it's not the story that has to be, but our story was based on hustle. It was all grit. We didn't have the money to get our own kitchen. We just didn't have it. Um, So we found a friend of a friend who ran a bakery um, called Cake Bake Shop in Manhattan Beach. She was just a really nice woman. Laura, Laura, if you're out there and you're listening, you helped us out so much in the beginning. In exchange for us working her storefront for free, she let us use a part of her kitchen to make kombucha. So um, we started to shift into this model where we didn't have to pay to use her kitchen, but we paid with our time. So we worked on Sundays uh, in her kitchen. So this is all that first year, 2012. We started in March. By the end of that year, we were in seven markets. We were starting to make it now in her kitchen. Now, did you have more people to help you out? or uh, We only had like one person. We were paying 10 bucks an hour to, to help us make it during the But the not day. to get the seven markets? I mean, how'd you guys split oh, time? Oh, but? yes. Sorry. Seven markets. Yep. We had a bunch of people that helped us out. Brian Chiasano, if you're mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. A bunch of you. Yeah. They were awesome. And we would all compete. We had kickers for people who did the best of the <laughs> team of seven. Like we were good at like yeah, driving sales, people. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were starting to sell to stores and stores were really interesting because they're like, and you're not still doing buying. taped labels or no, no. Oh. At this point we've got, uh, we, we've even invested in a $5,000 machine that you, it's a pedal and you push it with your Did foot. Did you have to raise money or was it not just yet. money you made? At this point it's all farmer's market driven. So you guys have made money. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we hadn't paid ourselves yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were, we were I at least, the business we probably we were breaking even. Got it. Yeah. Um, with the exception of like what you would have had to pay the three of us though, because we were really working for free there. Yeah. So basically we found ourselves, oh, when we sold to stores, so a few local stores wanted to carry health aid and we were like, huh, yeah, whereas at farmer's markets, we're busting our asses to sell one bottle, you know, per person. They're buying six cases at a time or 60 cases at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, this is definitely the way to grow. (laughs) You know, it was sort of like farmer's market ain't it. So by the end of the year, we, we sat down at the same table where we, you know, came up with the name and everything. And we were like, listen, we're not going to be able to expand this thing. Still all working full-time jobs. Because at this point, we were already run ragged, working every Sunday at a farmer's market, every night, every weekend. I didn't have an apartment space anymore. We were just like, if, this is, if we're going to give this a real shot, we got to quit and do this right and just put our forces 100% into this. And that was an easy decision for all three of us, even though it was super scary and everything about it felt uncomfortable and insecure and vulnerable and all that stuff. It wasn't an easy decision, but it was, I mean, it was easy, but it wasn't simple. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming you had saved up some money at, th- at this some, point. Some, but not enough for this to be a reasonable decision. Yeah. Ma- maybe a month. So you, you had to like start We were living on for- $7 a day for the following year. Until we got our money from investors. So, like, you're not eating? Justin and I were, like, eating cup of noodle. Ramen. Um, Pat's favorite meal. Cup no. of noodle. Friends. Friends. My sisters lived in L.A. They used to... Yeah, invite us over. Food. <laughs> I mean, really, bread. 
Yeah. 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 So um, you quit your job. All of you quit your jobs. We all quit our job at the end of 2012. January 3, 2013, we show up and we're like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to make some money here. There's no paycheck coming anymore. Yeah. And um, sorry for all the swears. I oh, hope that's okay. you're fine. All right, good. Yeah, we encourage it. Uh, good, good. I know you can trust people more when they say fuck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I mean, but what was so cool, I always say there are certain marquee moments around along the journey, and that was one of them. Quitting our jobs was one of them because now the three of us not only had the, the, the drive and the fuel and the fire to do something because, you know, eek, there's no cash coming, but also we had um, more time and all the brain energy in the world to put toward this. Not to mention that time is more efficient now because you're not working like a shitty job. You're yeah. actually working towards something that's your own and you're yeah. passionate about. So. Yeah. So we're like focused and we're starting to think smart and we're like, wait, it doesn't make sense if we're all technicians here. So who's going to take what roles? And so that's when we really started building the company side, not just the product. Um, and so Justin naturally ventured toward more operational role. And, you know, took on manufacturing. I naturally took on brand, marketing, and leadership of people, which we didn't have. So really it was brand and marketing. And Vanessa took on sales because she can sell anything. She is such a hustler. And so that three sort of job thing worked. And we still had some people helping us in the brewery. We at this point had so much demand that we couldn't take, we couldn't take any more space at the cake shop. So we needed our own space. I mean, oh, there's so many stories about this, like this crazy time, you know, like we found our, our, our kitchen, um, very serendipitously too. And I don't even know how to explain to people like how we got so lucky, but it's just like the hustle. I don't know. It just like landed, it like landed. We, we really didn't know how much it would cost to turn a kitchen into a kitchen, Mm. From a public health perspective. Yeah, yeah. So we we drove around Gardena. We saw a release sign. We went in. We saw that other food companies were using the adjacent sites. So we knew it was going to be permittable. Mm-hmm. And it was 3000 bucks a month. And the landlord seemed normal. And we're like, great, let's do it. Sign lease here. We had 3000 bucks. Gave it to him for, you know, first month's rent. And then we show up. And I'm like, oh, I'll bring my sister in who's like like semi-contractor or semi-architect. Like, what's this going to cost? And she's like, oh, no, you have to get like a like a permitted contractor to come in here. This is after we signed the lease. So yeah, are we dumb? A little bit, but I also feel like that was some of the best decision-making we ever did because we just went forward and then figured it out instead of figured it out and then went forward. Mm. So we show up. I, I finally get this the architect come in and he's like, yeah, this is like a $250,000 project. And we're like, what? <laughs> Like, but no like, what'd you, what'd you, capability. What do you think it was going to cost? Though? Like, like was... I thought it was going to be like 30, 40 grand. Yeah. 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 And like, this is just like an empty space? It's an empty box, concrete yeah. box with like a. Like, I'll just yeah. put my jars here. I mean, yeah. Because I don't need Set like. A, I don't need tables. a. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We didn't need. Um, we can boil the water for tea on hot pots. Like, all we right. needed was electricity. So for me, <laughs> we really didn't know that. And um, yeah, so we were really blown away. And then we're like, how do we get out of this lease? You know? And the landlord's like, yeah, sorry, like you got 30 days to figure this out. That's what it is. Mm. And um, we just, it just so happened. So we started walking around the neighborhood being like, anybody, <laughs> can anybody help us with a kitchen space that we can maybe like rent some of it out? Surely there's some unused space here. 
by the way, that area of Gardena is like filled with businesses. Yeah. That you don't even know. All those streets. Like all manufacturing. Yeah. Or, yeah. Anyway, it just so happened that two doors down from the space we were in, so same landlord, there was, you know, Sansai, the Japanese mm-hmm. food yeah. restaurant around here. Yeah, it's like yeah. a, for those of you that don't know, it's like a, you know, in LA, it's like a moderately sized fast food Japanese joint. Yeah. Well, they had a test catch in there that they hadn't used in a couple of years. And it was outfitted and permitted. And they had it open for times that they need to test new recipes out, but they really weren't using it anymore. So just happened to meet the guy there as he was going to his car. And I'm like, you need somebody to sublet this to? And he's like, yes, actually, we could really use that extra cash. And the landlord was nice enough to transfer our lease. We subleased there. I mean, it was just, this is what I mean about it just coming to us in a way that was like, wow, that worked out. Okay, let's is move that, forward. Is that how you know that little known fact about the soy sauce having the same amount? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, so whenever crazy. the public health person would come in, they'd be like, okay, we see all the kombucha ingredients, but what's up with all these like, you know, cornstarch things? And we're like, that's not ours. That's yeah. not ours. That's <laughs> our, you know, we're sublacing that's it. That's so funny. So we did this all on our cash until about that summer. 2013, we ran out. Like we were selling so much. And at this point, are you up. in stores already? Like, did yeah, you have, sorry, okay. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. So also in, so that was 2013. In March, we decided to, we needed people to help us grow. We were only in, the, the, Vanessa was going to as many stores as she could, but like she was opening maybe seven a week. You know, it wow. wasn't like enough. So um, I think at that point we were in like 20 or 30 stores. You know, she was regularly. like physically going there, huh? Showing up, six pack, uh, one sheet. Sales sheet that I'd created on PowerPoint, yeah, and just selling it in. And, and are these like the big markets, like no, the whole food? No, it's just small, like small mom market. pop shops, liquor stores, um, cool stores that we thought we should be in. Um, yeah, no, not yet. And but we knew that's where we needed to go. Um, so and we knew also power in one was not enough. Mm-hmm. So uh, we decided that we were going to hire sales reps, but not pay them. And how are we going to do that? We hired independent sales reps. We like basically put an ad. Yeah. We put an ad on Craigslist. Who loves kombucha? Come work for us for free kombucha and we'll give you 10% of any sale you bring in. We won't pay you though till they pay us. Hmm. So it was a no risk situation. Uh, we got about 20 people and you know, half of them dropped off after like a week, but we had to held on to 10. So we had these constant sort of every three weeks trainings of these Craigslist people. And, uh, you know, we always had 20 people. I don't know. And they helped us grow from, you know, seven, like, I don't know, 20, 30 stores to 300 wow. in like a month. And just in California. Just LA. Just LA. That's crazy. So we were like in 300 stores overnight. Mm-hmm. Then the big stores started knocking. So mm-hmm. Air One wanted to carry us. Mm-hmm. Yes, Air One. Mm-hmm. I remember we self-delivered everything. So Air One, the first delivery, Vanessa had to go back and forth three times just to deliver <laughs> what they needed. But then we ran out of cash. So... Um, right around that time, uh, we ran out of cash and, you know, we called Amex and we're like, we've been paying this every month in full. Yeah. Hook us up with a bigger limit because it's only 50,000 right now. Um, and we're still, by the way, making this literally by hand with siphons, like, like pumping turkey baster (laughs) into the bottles, really clean, but not efficient. And, um, Amex was like, no, you have no assets, you have no profits, <laughs> like we're not going to extend your credit. And did you run out of cash because the demand was higher than what you were yeah. able to support? Yeah, at that point, especially with Air One, 
Which is a good problem in a way. <laughs> yeah, but it is cash management was something I had to learn. Yeah. And I think, you know, had I gone to business school, maybe I would have known that. <laughs> Honestly, but no, not. you would not have. They don't teach you that. They don't. Um, they, they yeah, don't. I mean, I always remember my dad telling me cash is king, but I'm like, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to keep selling. I don't think I learned what margin meant until after college. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that would be definitely true for me. Yeah. Um, Although I'm surprised by that because you went to business school. I mean, maybe I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like to give you a sense, you buy the product. The product takes two, three weeks to make. So you buy all the ingredients, two, three weeks to make. Then it probably is about two to three weeks to sell it. Then it's two to three weeks for them to sell it. And then they have another two to three weeks to pay you back. So it's like three, four months that you're waiting to get this cash back. Yeah. yeah now that I think of it, I did learn this in accounting class. And I think yeah. it's like days in inventory or yeah. something like that where it's like the period of time it takes to make a product to getting cash for it. The yeah. longer it is. Yeah. And the bigger the company. Cash flow problems. Exactly. And yeah. the bigger the company, the longer they wait. Yeah. To pay you. So exactly. net, net the bigger, terms. like Whole Foods yeah. will take 90 days to pay you back. Which yeah. means and you can't negotiate that, obviously. You can. And they always but stretch it, right? negotiate a little bit, but you're not going to get like cash on delivery. I don't know about Whole Foods, but most places stretch that too. Like, yeah, you won't get it, it on the 90th day. It'll be like 10 Listen, days. Listen, the later. bigger, the small <laughs> stores will always work with you. So they'll give you cash literally when you show up with the product. Yeah. But the bigger stores are like, they don't even manage the money often. It's through the centralized system, which is what it is. You have to chase down the accountant, like the CFO or something. Yeah, it's not. So they'll negotiate it a little bit. And that is part of the beginning mm. of learning how to succeed in wholesale. You got to negotiate everything and get them connected with you because they will help smaller brands out. But still, you're you're paying for something in July that you're not going to see the money for until October. Wow. And so that is you know, hard when you're growing at 600%. Right, and you need to make new product. You're paying for money. You're paying for product that you don't even have. Like you've never, it's six times what you're actually making in that moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like you run out of cash extremely fast. <laughs> right, so did you, what, did you have to raise money? So we were in a situation where Amex wouldn't help us and we're like, oh my gosh, like we can't even deliver on Air One's next order because we don't have the cash for it. And so that really opened our eyes to the cash situation and we went to friends and family and basically asked for a loan and our you know really close family members helped us out with about 100 grand uh collectively it wasn't a convertible note it was literally just you know sign here we'll pay you back in six months with two percent return Interest, yeah. uh which is sort of an unheard of loan yeah. <laughs> um and it was really only one that your you know your father would give you but right. uh you know we had a few people that were willing to help us out you know, and uh, so that got us through, but it opened our eyes to we need to find investment now. And nobody would give us a loan. No bank would give us a yeah. loan because we had no profits and um, no history and no assets personally. So really our only option was investment. And we didn't feel that we had time to do friends and family um, because that would have taken a really long time to find people. And we just didn't have the time either. We were so busy making kombucha. Right. So we sort of put our feelers out to investment banks and we were like, you know, ones that were investing in fellow beverages and very like quickly capital firms. Or? Yeah. Okay. Like private equity, okay, venture capital, just basically we had some friends. We were just like, yeah, can you pitch? Can, mm -hmm. can you just pitch health aid? And we a little bit were in the right place at the right time. Kombucha at that time was starting to grow mm -hmm. and it just so happened that a fellow kombucha company, Kavita, who now is sold to Pepsi or owned by Pepsi, um, they were on the shelf well before us. They were about to do a deal with this one private equity group and it ended up not working out. Mm. 
And so they were already all researched on kombucha and the category and the, you know, they were, they were already convinced on it such that they were about to do a deal with these guys. And so I think they were a little bit bummed when it fell through and Kavita went with someone else. So then they started looking for other kombuchas. So they were looking for us at the same time that we were looking for them. Wow. And so it just so happened that it was a bit serendipitous like that. Handed them a pomegranate health aid. They were like, this is the best kombucha we've ever had. Like it's hands down the best. And we're like, how yeah. do we, how do we fucking get a million dollars from you, man? Yeah. You know? Like, great. Is it so a what's the next dollars step? Good or, yeah. <laughs> right. We we were so green. It was like, so what's the next step? You know, kind of like. So we didn't really look at any other investors. It just felt right. Um, the guy who was the managing partner there was his name is Tom First, and he uh, started Nantucket Nectars. And he was like an idol to me because he was somebody who understood our plight. He had started something literally from scratch, built it all the way to sell to Ocean Spray, I believe. And, you know, has been in the business now since then. So just a real veteran. East Coast guy. East Coast guy, Boston. So a lot of ties, just a lot of respect for that guy. And he would have been our, he was going to be our manager, you know, uh, you know, private equity manager. So we just felt like it was a real fit. And so we signed and we were able to. So they gave a million dollars. It was actually two and a half. Although I'm not supposed to talk about that. But yeah, (laughs) that was a long time ago. So I think it's fair. Statute of limitations has passed. Yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) It was more money than we wanted. We thought we only needed 100000 but Tom was so experienced. And he's like, I know, I know it feels like you're giving your baby away, but you need $2.5 million. And you know what else? In a year's time, you're going to need another two and a half. And we're like, he doesn't know who he's talking to. We're like the hustlers. Yeah, no. And a year later, we were like, we're out. So listen, that private equity group, First Beverage, was a really important partner for us in the beginning. They invested in a company that was doing less than a million dollars in sales. You know, that's a big risk, giving that kind of money. Obviously, now it's worked out. We're in 30,000 stores. You know, we sold, we'll sell, we'll sell close to 5 million cases this year. Wow. Um, got over 150 million in retail sales. 30, I think I said 30,000 stores. So it's yeah. a real business now that I think they, you know, mm-hmm. it's now one of their prized sort of portfolio companies. But they took a risk in the beginning, and I will always appreciate that. Um, yeah. What has changed, obviously, you know, now that you guys are a massive company, <laughs> well, um, you know, and, you know, in the beginning you were saying, you know, you kind of took on that leadership role, even though there wasn't really people to lead uh, besides your best friend. And, you know, eventually, were you guys married at the time or yeah, not yet? Yeah, You were married at the mm-hmm. time. Okay. okay. As the team grew, you know, how did that feel like for you and how did your role shift to become more of that leader of people as opposed to just the brand marketing person? Mm. Yeah. So, um, by the way, when we got the cash and it hit our bank account, like I can't describe to you how strapped we had been for a year. Like, I mean, imagine drinking ramen, eating ramen noodle, not being your meal for the day for a year. That was how we were living. Um, and so when that money hit our bank account, of course it wasn't our personal bank account, but it was like, oh my, like I, I just remember that moment right now as I'm sitting here and the three of us were like, we should go out and celebrate or something. But we had been so strapped for so long that it felt uncomfortable to go and pay for food at a restaurant. <laughs> so we're like, okay, okay, okay. There's this BYOB Chinese food place <laughs> down the street. That's safe. Right. Yeah. So that we went and we yeah. like, you know, reluctantly, we, <laughs> It was really funny. Anyway, small celebration. Then we're like, all right, we hire people. That was 
immediately what we knew we needed to do because that was the issue. We couldn't get enough people to help us grow this thing. And we knew we didn't know enough in manufacturing, so and we were manufacturing our product, so we 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 had to get somebody with with Intel there. Um, so this is now really where the three of us, our roles started to formulate well as well, because as we hired people, they they needed to report to somebody and they needed to be they were expert in certain things. So that manufacturing person came on and it was like, well, who do they report to, me or Justin? And so we kind of had to work out whose role was what, and. I think nobody disagreed with each other in that beginning. The three of us really were differently poised, um, you know, in terms of our assets we bring to a team. Um, like I had mentioned, I was good at leadership. I knew that. They knew that too. Nobody else wanted to be the CEO. They were like, yeah, that's definitely you. Like you do that. You can be the face of the company. You can lead it. You've got a great sense of brand. You can lead that. Justin was way more operational, thorough, naturally. So it was like, not, you know, so, and then Vanessa with sales. And with that money, I mean, I would say half of it went to us getting a new facility because we had already at that point more than used that space up. Um, I remember when we gave the keys back to Sansai, we were like, sorry. <laughs> I mean, because it was such a clean, you know, barely used facility before that literally looked like it had been just put through the ringer. I mean, it was clean, but boy, anyway, we had just used that thing up yeah. and we're like, you just send us the damages. Uh, we got a bigger place in Van Nuys and that was our brewery for the next two years. So half the money went to building, buying the equipment and half the money went to people. And so to your question, um, you know, I started to really step into that CE role, role, but I would say like each time my company, now we have 250 people. Wow. So I'm, it's a it's a different thing to yeah. be. I really feel like a CEO now. I think then it was more founder led. It's more appropriate to call it founder led. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there was a point when we you know surpassed fifty people where it felt very different. What was required of me is no longer necessarily synonymous with entrepreneur. And then now for sure. So it just so happens I was both, but it's not always the case. Um, was that a tough like? switch for you not a switch because you're still the founder obviously Transition. but yeah like exactly like your roles mm -hmm. were transitioning now yeah. and, and um how were you able to yeah i mean adapt? all those transition points are hard um and it was it was a transition because remember that the three of us in the beginning were co-leading it sure vanessa took on the sales stuff and stuff but we all picked up the broom and nobody really reported to each other it was sort of a it was a triple led business founder led really we used to make all of our decisions um, together for the most part, big ones, and it was majority rules. Um, when the company started to get way bigger, it changed. It needed to change because there needed to be one leader that was building the strategy, and it got to a point where we didn't always agree the direction of the business. So, But we were smart enough to understand that that disagreement, we weren't going to let it break this amazing thing that was growing. So we kind of all understood inherently that there needed to be a leader, and even though we may disagree that there's got to be a new process now that works. And that was hard. I think Justin naturally and I disagreed the most. We're the most different. Mm. Um, and, you know, the sales side, it's it's hard to disagree with because the sales side, it's just like fucking grow. I mean, if it grow. works, it's like, yeah. It works going. and just grow. So we kind of always kept Vanessa out of it. It was like, mm, yeah. just keep going, man. Like, yeah. And she naturally understands, understood like stores, bigger stores, natural, conventional, LA, New York. Like, so... 
it was like she already just naturally did that. Nobody ever disagreed there. I think why Justin and I disagreed is like his opinion about how we should position the product to a new consumer was different than mine. Um, and so, you know, we it, it was tough for sure. I mean, forget that we're married too. Did yeah. that affect, um, I'm curious, did that affect the relationship at all? Of course, of course. And I can definitely see how those end in divorce. Um, but it won't for us because we were really, really deliberate on how to manage this right. But I know a lot of people go out and start businesses with their husbands or their wives or their best friends. And all I'll say is that while I know that's a natural fit because obviously you trust each other, you communicate well, you spend a lot of time together, don't mistake that time together in business as quality time together as a relationship. So you really, even though you might be seeing each other all the time and spending time together, your relationship is suffering if you're not feeding that too. Right. Were so, you feeding it at all? No, not in the beginning. And I had to learn, we had to learn that the hard way over years and years that it was impacting us. And now we're at a place where we're very deliberate. Like when we come home, you don't talk about health aid. Hmm. And it's very hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, and of course, we don't win at that every time. But you also have to carve room out space out in your calendar for dates and you know going on vacation together and like we've gotten so good at it now that like it's it is we're so much stronger for it actually like I think we have one of the strongest relationships of anyone I know um so it's not that I don't recommend it it's more that yeah we had a lot of hard times in those transitions moving from founder led to and then each of us individually have had to step up in a yeah. very big way as leaders, you know? Like, I mean, even yesterday we had like a full-on corporate diversity training and I was sitting there like, this is so different. Mm. Like, we have a corporation now with like HR and like... <laughs> once once HR comes into the picture, <laughs> then it's like, we you have know? a real company. Yeah, and we're talking about like diversity. Like, this is just next level. I mean, I really had a moment yesterday because I remember very vividly that just three years ago, I was able to text my whole team on mm. one thread. It's way easier yeah. to lead a business like that. You can be a founder and just a strong, you know, entrepreneur and do that. It, but there's a point where now you need to be actually like a strategic leader and, and maybe you need to know that about yourself so you can pull out, yeah. pull somebody else And empower else in. like the other leaders in the company yeah. that have a lot of people reporting to them to, yeah. to be the same way yeah. or like to be a good leader. Yeah, yeah. or this delegate it. Exactly. You know? This may be a stupid or weird question, but like, did you know how to be a CEO? Mm, well, there were parts of it I knew. So I naturally always had that ability to inspire others, communicate. Um, so I was always good at like engaging the team. They always knew what the business was doing because I was like very good about knowing already that like, yeah, that's what you have to do. Because remember back in those GSK days, the unhappiest and less, least performing teams were the ones that didn't know. They felt disconnected. They felt micromanaged. So I was very kind of giving with my information. I always I made it a point to always connect with the teams often. So that stuff was natural. So that's a part of being a CEO, inspiring others, motivating them to do their work, making sure everybody's rowing in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, the same direction. Right. So that part, I think, was natural. Then there's the actual strategy piece. Like, are you making the right decisions? What is your strategy? And I think I can't take the credit for making, uh, for building our strategy alone. Um, although I do have a really good vision for the brand somehow and how it fits with the consumer. So 
that was natural, but like we also just kind of knew where we lacked. So like I didn't have the strategy for how to build the structure of the business and we had to hire out for that. It's like we knew, you know, we had to hire a CFO. There are other parts of being a CEO that I didn't know. Um, like for example, when you're doing like fundraising, which in a fast growth business like this, you're probably doing every year. Um, that that's like, you're expected to do that and build and lead the business. Like there's no, you know, it doesn't matter if you're fundraising or not. So, mm. and fundraising is extremely time consuming. Mm. So I found myself like 50% of my time managing the stakeholders to the business, but I'm like, I need to focus on the business. Hello. But that doesn't matter. Like that's your job. You, it's also your job to get the money. So like you kind of forget that. You think that it's like their job or something. So I had to learn through this process of like, oh, wait, this is my job. Like I'm actually viewed from them, like my private equity people, on how well I can bring money into the business. Okay, wow, that's a thing I didn't even realize. I thought it was just about growing health aid. Did you enjoy that or like do you enjoy that? I don't enjoy that part. Yeah. Um, but I ha- it's like you can't, you can't not be good at it. everything and you yeah. can't not do it. So you have to, just like with any job, you have to learn how to be good at it all. Yeah. Or you got to at least learn how to be, do it all and, and, like, and hire out as much as you can for yeah. the stuff you suck at. But it's still your job. Yeah. Like, obviously, I'm never going to be great at finances, but I had to learn how to freaking read a PNL. Like, right. I had to learn that. And I still don't love it, but I know way more about it now than probably <laughs> most people out of business school is my yeah. guess. But not like my CFO. I mean, yeah. my CFO is like my co-pilot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you have to learn. And I constantly have to learn. I know that it's not over. Sure, I have 250 people under me now. But, I mean, there are companies that have 200,000. That CEO is a different – that's a different CEO. <laughs> like, Bob, like Bob Iger who just stepped down yeah. um, of Disney. Um, they always say – you always hear like – or not always, but you often hear in business they say, you know, like know the rules of the game and know when to quit. Like what's your exit strategy? Like have one – don't have one. I don't know. In your case, yeah. do you did is that something that's ever crossed your mind? Like, do you where do you see the brand, the company going in the next like five to ten to twenty years? Is it something that you've you want to do for the rest of your life, or do you see it's something that you know it's it's part of a finite sort of st- like bigger strategy for you? Mm. I mean, the truth is, we started Health Aid because we were we had an itch to build something of our own that we could be proud of. It was a little bit like we had something to prove. Yeah. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, at least for me, I've proved a lot of it. So now I'm like, okay, so what am I doing this for? And now I'm not now, but I guess in the last couple of years, I've been finding what my drive is and my, my drive really is to be, um, to continue to lead and become better at what I'm doing. There's so much to get better at. I have a long way to go constantly, and the, the business continues to grow and evolve, so like it just keeps demanding more of me. So I'm actually really enjoying just the day-to-day. I mean, the day-to-day sucks, <laughs> but I'm enjoying the overall yeah. growth process and just sort of learning. I mean, I go home at the end of the day, and I feel like every part of my intellect has been challenged mm-hmm. and 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 forced into something new. So it's like I I have the op I'm the opposite of bored. Sometimes I would love a more boring life. I fantasize about that actually. Um the grass is always greener. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what if we just like had a flower shop? Yeah. You know? But um yeah, so what do I want? But at the but at the same time, when we started this, we wanted to acquire wealth. We wanted to 
like I wanted to be able to like build something such that my kids never had to work if they don't want to. Or I like to me that was a real you know measure or metric of success. It's not the only thing. I wouldn't do this above like you know val. I wouldn't value this above family or anything, but. It was always a dream of mine, or I guess I would measure success as, do you actually even need to work? So for me, that's still something I have to work for, um, which probably would mean the business would be sold one day, or at least we'd be making so much profit that, you know, like that guy with the hair thing, (laughs) the tap on hair thing. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's still a driver for me, for sure. I want to get to that place where I'm doing this only because I choose to be here and not at all because I need to be here. Um, but when that comes, what's my driver then? I don't know. So it's hard for me to say, where am I going to be in five, 10 years? But I know where Health Aid's going to be. Health Aid's on its way to being in every fridge in America, period. Um, and wh- when that acquisition or profit position happens, who knows? There have been opportunities along the way where I thought it would, and then it didn't. So knowing what you know now, do you think that guy that was cashing in $90,000 a week or whatever was legit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was. He found a market and a product fit for that market. It was probably like, it was just like him and like two other people probably. He had like 12 employees <laughs> yeah. and it just worked. And businesses are, and that's the other thing when you think about business and you guys talk to so many business owners, every business is so different. Yeah. Every industry is so different. It requires different things. Beverage. And the goals of the founders are a, a lot goals of Goals of the different. founders. I mean, you like, asked you a really good question. You could pay yourself a lot of money if you wanted to, but sure. like, does that mean that you're sacrificing? Sacrificing the future growth of your company or right, what, right? Right. You know, I think there are, if I were to ever do, I don't know what I would do again or if I would have done something differently, but I, I certainly can see that understanding a strategy from the beginning, you know, the end strategy, do you want to make this a lifestyle business? Do you want to sell this business? Uh, it, it's an important conversation to have because for sure when you bring investors in, they want to sell it. 100%, they want to yeah. make money in yeah. five to seven years usually. So... Mm-hmm. If you're signing up for that, you're now signing up for a train of growth. And that is a lot of fun in some ways, but it's, you know, I always say if you're four, if you're growing four times what's normal, you're also having four times more the problems of what's normal, four times the growth required of yourself that's normal, four times, the, you know, four times everything, except Stress. four times less tra- cash. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pros and cons. And I think... Um, I don't know if we would have done anything differently, but there's no question that me, Justin, and Vanessa all were aligned that we wanted to, this was our first job and we were always broke. So for us, it was about acquiring not wealth to be flashy, but like wealth to be free. And that still holds true for me. Mm. Well, now that you're a mom, you know, CEO, like when do you have time, like, do you have time to do anything beyond those two things? Like not much, yeah, not much, and I've had to really learn that the hard way. I think along, I always say that in business, sometimes every day it's like this, but there are points of like very dark, swampy mess of despair moments. You know, where you're just so, for whatever reason, it's so hard, and you never, you don't see the light. Um, I, I have been in those moments and realized that I was spreading myself too thin and doing too much. Um, and for whatever reason you think that that's good for the business, but it's not, um, you know, like you go on maternity leave, for example, which I really wanted to do this time because, you know, you only have your kids, these babies once and three months I took. And And you were not doing anything company related? Um, emails here and there, you know, I do like in the first month, no, but like, you know, but no, not nearly what I was was leading the company. I was, Yeah, but I realize you don't have to be there every single day in that moment. Like 
all these moments of growth often involve me delegating and elevating yeah. and delegating and elevating and that the business is actually better when that happens. So like, you know, how do I find to do time to do things? Well, the answer is first you got to figure out who's on that fucking lifeboat with you because there's no question that running a business, whether you're the entrepreneur or not, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of stress and it's not normal. So you just don't have as much as other people that have normal nine to five jobs or whatever. That's just what it is. So what else is on that lifeboat with you? Well, for me, family is the thing. Um, I need to also give to myself enough to feel like I can be my happy self so that I can continue to source those two things, mm. resource those two things very well. But that's all that fits in. Yeah. So everything else I have to say no to. And do I want more social life? Yes, I would love that. I miss those days. I was rocking out on the way here to the Pinkerton album <laughs> because I remember how good Weezer was. Do you remember yeah. how good oh, Weezer yeah. was? Yeah. And I used to party. So just not right now, not this chapter. So you have to prioritize what doesn't fit in right now because you are focused on some big dream that takes a little bit extra work. So it is what it is. Get over it. And you still focus on those things that matter to you a lot, but you've got to carve out time for it. So it's not like when I'm home, my phone is off. So that's been really hard to do. And my, some of my team, workaholic type teams, will be like, uh, you know, I'm calling you at eight. And I'm like, sorry, not till the kids are down at least. So... I'm really trying yeah. to carve out space to be a mother, carve out space to be a CEO, and I'm good at both, not every day, um, but in a, in a week's time, I'm good at both. Do you do anything to like, you know, any self-care and, like, yeah, and, like, yeah. and, like, and what does that include? Yeah, so I was saying sort of the, I, I take care of myself more because those two things matter to me so much, family and business, yeah. that I have to be in the best health yeah, like to be able to physical, do that. Yeah. yeah, And I have to be happy because right. who wants a fucking bitchy mother or yeah. CEO for yeah. that matter. Yeah. So I want to, so I have to give to myself enough to be like joyous is what I say or like myself. Yeah. My nickname is Bubbles. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, that's also tough to fit in. My goal, I work out four times a week. That's hard with a baby. The only time to do that is five in the morning when they're still asleep. So that's when I get up and I don't sleep a lot, but I try. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm not cooking myself right now, even though I used to love to do that because I just can't fit it in. So I outsource that. Um, and, you know, I have to outsource a lot. But that has br brought me a lot of freedom, actually. I outsource the stuff that I don't love. And obviously, I'm, I feel very grateful that I can even do that in my position now. Mm -hmm. I couldn't in the beginning. But that's all the ways that I take care of myself. I don't put the expectation that I have to cook and yeah, clean yeah. and do laundry yeah. and run the business and be a mom. Right. Like I have to set yeah, I mean, some There's of those literally things. no time. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I get somebody to come and massage me once every two weeks. That's like a Sounds thing. Sounds like heaven, yeah. Yeah. It's my thing. Take baths, you know. You got to take vacation from time to time. I'm pretty good about that stuff. Like I can tell now at this point of this business, it wasn't always like this, that like I can tell when I'm burning out. And you just got to pull yourself out of the game, even just for a day if you're like that. Because if you don't do it, it's going to be burnout, and you'll yeah. burn everybody else around yeah. you out. You're not good at anything when you do that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I've learned how to be good at that. Love that. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those conversations where we could just sit here and chat all day, but I know you got a company to run. Uh, this has been so amazing. Thank you yes. for you know sharing your amazing story and your wisdom, and we can't wait to see where Healthy goes from here. Um, it's been a blast. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Diana. Thank you. Thank you.